The following message and support for AHLA is provided by Berkeley Research Group, a global consulting firm that helps organizations advance in the areas of disputes and investigations, corporate finance, and strategy and operations. BRG helps clients stay ahead of what's next. For more information, visit thinkbrg.com. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, and welcome to the American Health Law Association's Fraud and Abuse Podcast, and I'm your host, Matt Wetzel. This edition of the podcast focuses on career journeys to compliance. Compliance officers serve on the front lines of our clients. They help steer and guide the business through risky waters, making sure complicated regulations are met, and ensuring that an effective means of internal controls is in place all the while expected to prevent bad behavior, foster a culture of ethics and integrity, and serve as a role model for others. Healthcare compliance officers are also a core part of the American Health Law Association. As many of our listeners know, we're no longer just focused on lawyers, but the broader range of professionals who work in health law and in regulation. And there seems to be a much greater interest among the younger generations, those folks coming up in the ranks, want to understand the compliance profession. In fact, I've been approached by several law students in the past few months who have expressed an interest in understanding how to become a compliance officer. What do you do to get there? What paths should they follow? What challenges can someone expect? Our guest today can offer unmatched and unparalleled perspective on the journey to compliance. Jessica Pill is Vice President and Chief Compliance Officer of Boston Scientific Corporation, a global medical device and medical technology maker. Jessica went from internal investigations to compliance officer, and now she's even finishing her JD. Uh, We're gonna talk with her today about her unique path to compliance, her decision to pursue a JD after many years of great success, and we're gonna talk with her about mentoring and what do you need to do to position yourself for a compliance position. She also happens to be a former colleague of mine, not to mention a boss, mentor, and friend of mine as well. Jessica, welcome. So I thought, you know, it might be great for us to start with you kind of taking us back and and telling us your story, your compliance journey. How did you get to um, the CCO chair at Boston Scientific? Great. Well, thank you, Matt, and thanks for having me today. Um, I will start by saying the path is windy um, and certainly not something that I would have said uh, where I would have landed. Um, Happily, I have, but uh, certainly not in my uh, early days, um, you know, college, you know, starting there. I wasn't thinking, gosh, I'd like to be a compliance officer. And candidly, you know, uh, at that time, compliance was really more in its infancy. So it wasn't even something that you could sort of dream to or aspire to or want to do earlier on. So that's changed a lot. And I'm sure we'll talk about that. But um, when I was in college, I thought I would go to law school. Um, I took the LSATs. I interned at a, um, a law firm in Boston and I just loved it. Um, thought that was it. I was very, uh, very focused on that. <clears throat> and then my, uh, you know, my, my mom at the time really encouraged me to go abroad. And I thought, well, I'll just go for a semester because I don't want to kind of mess up my path to law school. And she said, no, no, no. If you go, you have to go for a whole year. Um, and so we sort of had this dance uh, of her saying, nope, I'm not going to support you if you don't go for a year. And me saying, but it's going to impact my law school uh, journey. And ultimately she won, as parents often do. And I went to Ireland for a year. 
And why that's important is one, you know, it's great to have international experience and that's an important thing ultimately in being in compliance for a lot of uh, companies and a lot of industries. Um, but it also sparked uh, the love of being uh, abroad. And so <clears throat> instead of going to law school, talk about a change in journey, I ended up going to London right after college and I did a master's there in regulation. And that was actually in law, economics, and politics. So I still had a little bit of the law in there, uh, but I, br I branched out. Um, and really, truly, I was joking actually with my daughter the other day that, you know, it was an important um, degree. I learned a lot, but really I, I, I wanted a mechanism to live in London. So um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, uh, I had a great time at school, but I really had a great time living in London. Um, so from there, you know, I actually picked up the thread that I loved more of the quantitative side and the economics. And so I left sort of my law path and pursued an economics path. And I came back to the U.S. I worked for a small economics consulting firm um, doing, you know, studies for towns and, and some litigation support where I was doing some quantitative analysis for, uh, you know, business disruption or other types of uh, business and, and personal injury disputes. And from there, I thought, well, this is really interesting. It still was sort of on the periphery of law, uh, working with attorneys in these cases. And I thought, well, I'll go to sort of a bigger place to do similar things. So I left that small uh, consulting firm and went to PricewaterhouseCoopers, and I was in their dispute analysis and investigations group. Um, and from there, I did a myriad of things, uh, some actually environmental consulting. I did some litigation support still. And then I also really started focusing, focusing in on investigations. And this is really the, the start of my journey, I would say, truly on a path to compliance. Um, so we worked for a lot of companies um, doing investigations at the time. Um, you know, there were, you know, stock option backdating, all the Enron, lots of out, external mm -hmm. email review. Um, also, um, you know, FCPA uh, investigations. And so I worked for a lot of different industries, um, including healthcare, and, and ultimately decided after about 11 years at PwC that I really wanted to specialize in an industry. So I still wasn't thinking compliance, candidly. Right, at that right. point, it was more, what do I like to do? Uh, what is the work I like to do? And then what is the industry that I'm interested in doing that work in? And that's where uh, one of our clients was actually Boston Scientific, and they had a job for a director of investigations. That's what I had been doing at PwC for many years at that point. I ha had also gone back to school and gotten my uh, CPA and a master's in accounting. And I decided, well, you know what? This, this is the industry where I want to be, so I'm going to take the leap. And I started at um, Boston Scientific about 10 and a half years ago in that role. Um, at the time, BSC was just expanding uh, their compliance program. So even though I was being hired into the compliance department, it was still a very skeletal uh, department. Um, we had people doing compliance traditional work, but in lots of different functions at the time. And our former chief compliance officer, uh, Matt, whom you know well, uh, who's an amazing person uh, and also an amazing uh, compliance leader, uh, she was bringing all of those threads together in one department. And so I was uh, lucky enough to start in that department sort of in its infancy. 
and also concurrently with that company, uh, Boston Scientific, um, getting a corporate integrity agreement, which is often the impetus for a lot of uh, really accelerated growth right, um, right. in compliance. And so that's how I found myself in compliance. But again, I really wasn't thinking compliance. I was thinking industry and what it is that I like to do every day. Um, and that's, that's how I found myself here. Wow, that is a that's a great story. And Jessica, I've known you for quite some time. I think ten and a half years now. Yes, that you, yes. Uh, point that out. Uh, and I hadn't realized um, your background in economics. Yes. And um, do you find that that having that background um, either you know gives you an advantage, or is it something that you use on a regular basis in the course of your work? Sure. Well. Um... You know, I think that compliance um, generally, and this is a, definitely a generalization, but it, it sort of spans different types of uh, academic um, and, you know, technical backgrounds. Legal is certainly one of them. That's a major uh, background. Um, you know, controls, economics, accounting is another major background, and that tends to skew into like the account, the uh, auditing and monitoring roles and other types of controls type of work in uh, compliance. And then also project management is another really important um, skill set because we're often doing a lot of sort of operational uh, type of work. Um, and then there's also a lot of sort of training communication. So depending on your sort of interest and discipline, there's a space for you. Um, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not even listing many others, but, um, you know, so finance, for example, but, um, but I think so to answer your question, Matt, I think that it does help me, um, because I do have a controls sort of mindset and a lot of, uh, compliance. If you think about sort of the compliance wheel, it's, uh, you know, prevent, detect, and respond, you know, kind of across the wheel. And economics, accounting, controls, um, that helps a lot in uh, the detection in particular, um, and also uh, the prevention and response. But I think, you know, knowing where, you know, uh, how the systems work and where are the key key points of control have helped me a lot, uh, having that uh, discipline, but it's not, it's not necessary. I mean, you, you could certainly, and there are many people yourself included who come at it from other expertise. Um, but cer- it certainly has helped. It's interesting you say that. So you, you think of compliance in that wheel shape yes. and I, you know, maybe I'm focused more on controls. Cause I tend to think of like mm-hmm. the scales of justice, like if right. you've got risk on one side, mm-hmm. you need to balance that out with controls on another. And, you know, perhaps that's from my own you know, law background. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but I think what you say about internal controls and sort of approaching from the different, you know, sort of functional responsibilities is an interesting view, interesting perspective. Now you mentioned also, Jessica, that you had kind of been focused on, you know, not just necessarily the substance of the work, but your industry. How did mm-hmm. you choose the medical technology industry as sort of the place for you? Yeah, I I think industry is really important sort of in your calculus as you're thinking about where you want to um, um, spend your compliance time. And and you can do multiple industries. And I think that would help, you know, have a really interesting, you know, uh, bright career um, as well, depending on when you get into compliance. You get into it very early, you have sort of more track in your career, Uh, but there's different types of risk depending on what industry you're in. So for me, 
Um, it was just sort of, you know, when I did a lot of consulting, I had the, the privilege of working across industries. And while I thought there was interesting things in each of the industries, healthcare for me, because it is human, it's, it's about getting products to patients. It's about, you know, helping them in their healthcare journey sometimes, which is very acute and tragic uh, and, and a device in our case um, or some intervention can really change the course of that person's, person's life, including, you know, being alive. Um, it, that mission was really resonated with me. Um, so that was important, but also the type of risk that we're dealing with. Mm-hmm also was very uh, interesting to me. Um, So, you know, for example, in banking, there's a lot about know your customer and um, anti-money laundering and very financial uh, focus and controls. Um, In healthcare, when you're applying similar controls uh, in terms of the compliance framework um, and laws, it's about um, how our um, customers, which are healthcare providers, are interacting with our patients, you know, patients. And so, that sort of human element, uh, I really enjoyed. So that was part of the reason why I was uh, very interested in healthcare. I, you know, it's it's interesting you say that. It's it, obviously we're the American Health Law Association, and so the compliance officers and compliance professionals we have in our con- constituency, mm-hmm. um, I would imagine most probably feel that same drive that same sense of mission. And um, I think that's a, I think that's a really important piece that oftentimes perhaps younger professionals might not be focused so much on. They might be focused more on sort of the function of the job and what does it look like day to day versus what's the broader impact. Right. I think the broader impact is, is, is actually ultimately, you know, a lot of the you know, writings about um, being happy in your job. It's a lot about purpose. And so really kind of um, finding a purpose of it in an organization that you really believe in and align to, I think is, is critical as you think about your compliance journey and, and maybe not, you know, in that first or second job, but as you really lock into where you want to grow your, uh, you know, depth of expertise, it's something to consider. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, I want to kind of switch gears just a little bit. I, you know, for those folks who are listening, who don't know Jessica, she's had quite a career, quite a successful career. And um, just in the past few years, you made the decision to go back to school to get your JD. What drove you to do that? Insanity. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but most days that's how it feels. Um, So let's see, as I talked about, you know, when I was in college, I thought I was going to be a lawyer. So it's always been um, sort of that little voice on my shoulder. Mm -hmm. And I've always worked with attorneys. I really love um, analyzing information. And that's a core skill set of attorneys uh, reading, digesting, you know, breadth of, of information and then synthesizing it and sort of giving an opinion or advice or steering a decision. So that skill set, again, I'm very focused on skill sets in terms of what do I like to do every day? You know, when I'm hiring someone, I say to them, you know, this is what the job looks like. This is, you know, the title's great, but when you come into work every day, this is what you're actually going to be doing. Will you be happy doing that work? So when I think about the type of work lawyers do, it's something I, I have done, you know, peripherally in my career. And I knew it was something that I would like to get the real expertise and 
and incorporate uh, professionally. So, um, you know, part of it is timing and opportunity as well. So because I always thought and wanted to go to law school, I had the pleasure of working with our prior uh, general counsel, Desiree Rawls Morrison. And as we were talking about my career, she really said to me, well, you know, what about, what about the law? And I said, well, you know, I thought about it for a while. It's come up a few times, you know, many times. And I don't know, I'm not sure I could really incorporate that into, you know, everything that's currently on my plate. And she <laughs> said, well, but if you really want to do it, like, let's see if we can make it work. And ultimately, um, her nudging um, and uh, my desire sort of uh, you know, helped propel um, this decision. And, and so I went, I went back to school. It's part-time. It's a four-year program. I finished three years and I have one year left. And wow. uh, most days I'm glad I did it. Some days, maybe not so much, but uh, it's really about rounding out for me um, yeah. the part of the, um, the work that, again, I, I do a little bit on the periphery, but I'd like to have sort of the ability to do it in the primary way. And so I'm excited. It's, it's been a cool thing to, to be exposed to. And, uh, you know, law school is a beast. <laughs> so for everyone who's done it, hats off, you know, it's a, it's an experience for sure, but it, it's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. And I, um, you know, I think that your sort of willingness to evaluate your life and reevaluate your life, um, is the mark of, you know, somebody who's very thoughtful and very conscientious about what it is that you're doing. You know, it's not just, you know, a function for you. It's a calling. Do you think the JD is necessary to be a compliance officer? Um, it's a great question. I do not, uh, largely because, uh, one, I'm a compliance officer and I do not have a JD. Um, so <laughs> proof in the, in the, uh, in my, in myself as an example, but I also know, and, and by the way, a really very good compliance officer too, <laughs> I might you. add. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate the, uh, the plug. Um, so I know obviously a ton of compliance officers. I have the pleasure of networking, uh, with many and, um, many are lawyers, many of them are not. And the not is, you know, again, that range of skills I was talking about previously. Um, but um, so I, I do think it's not, it's not necessary. I do think you can be a compliance officer without it. However, I will say a lot of compliance departments are set up where the um, head of compliance and head of what I'll say is legal compliance, sort of that uh, interpretation of the law um, and the actual lawyering that comes with compliance are one in the same. Mm -hmm. And in my company, those are split. So I can, my job, I can run the compliance program. And then we have other people uh, who run the, the legal side of compliance. And so I have the, the benefit of that. Um, and we all ultimately report into the general counsel. But in some instances, in some companies, that's one and the same. So in those, if you want sort of more opportunity, candidly, um, having the law degree will help you because in some cases that is actually a prerequisite for the position. In, in other words, it's not a necessary um, you know, requirement, but it certainly allows you to expand and grow in whatever direction you want if you were to have the JD. 
exactly. You're not as limited because as a JD, you can do the programmatic work, but as a non-JD, you can't do the legal work, of course, right? So it just gives you more breath. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Kind of switching gears a little bit and thinking kind of about the nuts and bolts of compliance. Mm-hmm. Demystify it for us, Jessica. What's your day like? What's your average day like? Oh my goodness. There is well, such a thing. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, let me start by saying no day is the same. Um, there is, <clears throat> I think, you know, it depends on what company you're in and sort of what does that look like? So Boston Scientific, obviously international company, um, many countries where we operate. So I think my day uh, often starts early and ends late. You know, last <laughs> night I finished um, a call with uh, Singapore, you know, at 8.30 because of course time changes, you've got to um, adjust and we all take the take the hit. You know, sometimes it's late for me and early for them and vice versa. So there's a lot of juggling that. But in terms of a, a day, you know, what, what are the types of things I do? Um, a lot of it is, um, sort of problem solving, which I love. Again, I, I always think about skill sets as we were just talking about. So while no issue is genuinely the same because it deals with different people or it deals with a different process. Um, it's, it's often my job is about, you know, asking why, you know, why did that happen? Who is involved? Um, how did it happen? You know, how, who do we bring together to sort of decide what to do next, Um, It's also, so there's that analysis. There's also a lot of um, strategy and planning. So in compliance, a lot of times you're doing things for the very first time. Mm -hmm. So if you want to do, you want to train on a particular topic, for example, it's very hard to find something off the shelf that actually fits what you need. So it's creating, well, who's the audience? What are we trying to say? How can we say it? So it's interesting. How do we want, you know, how can people, uh, how do we want people to engage with this material? A lot of writing, a lot of policies, um, a lot of, you know, investigation reports, for example, I present uh, to the board every quarter. So I want to think about risk and, you know, from an enterprise standpoint and analyze that information to, be able to talk to that audience and give them a picture of what's happening within the program. So I'm giving you examples um, as opposed to what a normal day is, because I have to tell you, it really is not a normal day. And Matt, you've been a compliance officer, so you know that very well. Um, but you know, it's engaging with the business, understanding where we're trying to go as a business and try to figure out how to help that path um, and avoid missteps you know, wherever we can. Um, And I will also say a compliance officer job is very much, and uh, this comes from Jean, uh, Jean Lance, who was uh, Matt and uh, my uh, chief compliance officer at Boston Scientific, you know, great mentor, amazing person. Um, She always said, you know, compliance, you're a player coach. And I didn't even know what that meant when Mm -hmm. I first started. But um, as a coach, obviously, I'm there to guide the team, set the strategy, you know, help problem solve, you know, escalation, all of that. But I'm very much a player as well. You know, I am reading documents, I'm editing documents, I'm looking at training scripts, I'm, you know, trying to uh, synthesize data and, and information. So really, your hands are in the weeds, and you're, you're doing a lot of work, in addition to leading uh, the team. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, um, what you just described, Jessica, and I didn't mean to put you on the spot by asking you that question with no answer. Um, you know, it sounds like with all the moving parts, you know, the various cogs in the, you know, in the day, 
you know, you've got to turn your brain on from, you know, sort of the analytical standpoint, then you have to go into a, you know, more of a, you know, sort of fact-based and, you know, process-based view of whatever it is that you're doing. What's the toughest part of the job? Oh, um, the toughest part of the job is coming to each, uh, question that comes to you with a critical mindset because you get mindset fatigue. So it could be a conversation followed by a meeting, followed by, you know, a one-on-one followed by an email. And when you get to that email, maybe you're tired at that point. Right. But I'm opening up an email that's asking me whether I approve, for example, us onboarding a distributor in, you know, a country in Asia, let's say, um, with these certain red flags and risks. And I have to take that very seriously. So I need to really pause and read that information because that one decision can set off a chain of events positively or negatively. Um, And so I think that's the hardest part is just making sure that you're showing up to each of those conversations um, in in a position to uh, make very important decisions because that's a big part of being a compliance officer. This sort of buck stops with you. You have to decide Um, and you get great counsel and advice and everything, but ultimately you have to decide. And in a lot of situations. And so, you know, being ready to make that decision and being careful, but not uh, paralyzed, because if you're so worried about all of the things that could happen, you won't make a decision. So it's having the ability to sort of sift through all that information, weigh it all up and, and decide to go or not go. Um, And that can be tough. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very well said. I think that, um, you know, there's a, there's a, a, you know, I don't want to use the word anxiety or anguish. It's, you know, a, a seriousness that you have to treat each decision. And if you're not able to, you know, sort of bring yourself to that decision with, you know, full clarity and, you know, um, conscientiousness and, you know, thinking strategically, it's, it's difficult. It is, it is. And it, and that's the thing. And, and it's, it's not, um, it's multi decisions in a day. So you have to be ready for that. Um, it's Absolutely. not, it's not just occasionally. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, switching gears, yeah. um, kind of our last topic here, you've mentioned mentors a couple of times, and I know you and I have a very similar philosophy about mentors, mentoring, being a mentee. You've been my mentor for a long time. What, what, how have mentors helped you along the way and who are some of the great mentors in your life? Sure. Well, thank you, by the way, for that. I think we uh, mentored each other. Uh, We grew up (laughs) together. Um, I think, um, gosh, I mean, without mentors, frankly, uh, a lot of this is less fun. Um, So in addition to the success, which is great, um, you know, so much about what we do is people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so finding, I mean, think about what I was just saying about making all these decisions. You know, I have the pleasure of relying on people all over the world um, who are awesome, who make, you know, these, who make it not easy, but easier to make these decisions because I can trust them. So people and having a great team is mission critical. Um, And I'm blessed with that for sure. Um, And part of that responsibility of 
getting excellent talent and having them, you know, work at uh, Boston Scientific is a responsibility to make sure they have, you know, colorful, bright, uh, you know, stimulating, engaging careers. And so that's very much about uh, being a, a mentor uh, to them. And I've been grateful uh, to have uh, those for myself, as we just talked about. So I think about it both ways, of course, mentors mm-hmm. for me and being a mentor for others. Um, and so I think I mentioned, you know, Desiree, um, I mentioned Jean. Uh, another person I'd like to uh, mention is a, a partner with whom I worked at PricewaterhouseCoopers, Andy Savitz. Um, he uh, he was the first person to really, you know, help me understand how important relationships are. Mm-hmm. And he was the type of person, unfortunately, he passed away last year, but he was the type of person who... Um, he would just pick up the phone or, you know, meet someone for lunch or really do anything with no end game in sight. It wasn't, gosh, you know, if I do this, I'm going to get this. He just, he just was that type person. What do you need? How can I help you? Let me call this person. I know this person over here. Uh, he's, uh, was an environmental attorney and I just loved, um, kind of learning that from him. And he was very, because he was so willing to help, he was very invested in people. And we had a, a deep professional relationship and friendship for many years. And, you know, I talked to him about going to law school and his first response was like, why do you want to do that? Cause he always used to say he was a recovering lawyer. Um, and I gave him my best argument. He's like, all right, I'm convinced. And, uh, just having that support from people that you respected, admire, um, is, is very helpful. So I think mentors, you know, they're people that maybe in a period of your time of, of your career, they really push you, accelerate you. Um, and then if you're lucky enough, they're lifelong friends and they're cheering you on from the sides, even if they're not, uh, you know, in your day to day, um, uh, you know, kind of decision-making. So, uh, those are three that I would say, of course, you know, very lucky to have supportive family. My husband's amazing. Have a lot of friends, uh, but professionally, I think those three are, are 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 shining stars. Well, I think that's great, and I and very well said. And you know, um, I I think about mentoring a lot. In fact, I I feel like part of you know the benefit of what we're doing right now, this podcast is to maybe, you know, do some indirect mentoring to folks who might just be listening with questions about, you know, where am I going to be? What am I going to do? You know, how do I get into this profession, et cetera, to round out the conversation today, Jessica, what would you say is your best piece of advice to someone just starting out or somebody who wants to start out in this field? My best piece of advice is to follow the work that you love. Um, I'm really a big fan of the idea that you should maximize your strengths. Um, So there's, you know, there's like Marcus Buckingham out there. I've done his um, program um, stand out and it really talks about like, what do you really love to do? What are you good at? Um, so figuring that out, knowing, I always say your secret sauce, like what is your secret sauce? What do you bring to the table? Um, and if you can figure that out, um, and then match that to something that you do every day, by definition, you're going to be better at it. You're going to be more engaged or more, more excited about the work do well. And then, you know, you progress from there. I think with compliance, it isn't as established as something like, 
you know, let's say accounting where there's the big four accounting firms, there's no big four compliance firms, right? Right, right, so right. So you have to then match that with, you know, an industry or a law firm or, or some area of, of uh, the practice of, you know, law or, um, you know, again, compliance as, as, a, as a subject matter that you're, that you're excited about um, and then start somewhere. And I, so I wouldn't think my best advice is I wouldn't think about, um, you know, a title or um, where it is necessarily that you want to end up. I mean, if you want to be a compliance officer, obviously start, you know, try to get into a compliance department at some point, right? And do and do that because I think it is important to have, you know, practical experience. Um, but more in your, if you're just starting out, um, think about the, the work, think about what you would love to do every day um, and try to match that with opportunities that are out there. And I think if you think, you know, sort of more about that, your career will unfold itself. Um, and obviously, surround yourself with good people, ask for help, you know, be inquisitive, have that critical, you know, uh, analysis mindset. Uh, compliance is a lot about asking that third, fourth, fifth question um, and not being sort of, uh, you know, uh, comfortable with just sort of the first response someone gives you. So work on that critical mindset. Um, and I think, I think that's my advice. It's, it's hard for me to say that there's a particular path that anyone should take in compliance because there isn't. And I think that's the, maybe that's makes it a little bit more of a black box for folk, folks trying to get into it, but mm -hmm. it also makes it really interesting because you can come at compliance from so many different uh, ways that I think it's just focused on what you like to do. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for the time today. Thanks for joining us uh, on the podcast here. Um, your insights, your experience uh, is just invaluable, and um, we're so appreciative for the time. And hopefully for folks who are listening, you were able to you know, glean a couple of gems of wisdom from Jessica, and um, we hope to have you back sometime soon. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you, Matt. Absolutely my pleasure. And of course, a huge thank you to the Berkeley Research Group for sponsoring the AHLA Fraud and Abuse podcast. Thanks very much to our listeners as well. We'll be back next month with another edition. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to AHLA Speaking of Health Law wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about AHLA and the educational resources available to the health law community, visit AmericanHealthLaw.org.